What is up, Northridge Church? It is so good to be with you wherever, however you are joining us. Welcome, Rochester Online. Special shout out to everyone in Webster. Hope you're having an awesome morning today as well. Man, I'm excited to be here. Excited to have a chance to get to open up God's word together and continue us along in this journey we have been in over the last five weeks through the Sermon on the Mount. We're calling it the Summer on the Mount. We're taking 11 weeks to look at this incredible sermon that Jesus gave. And I hope that this series has been encouraging you and challenging you. Maybe perhaps for even some, like it's been heavy and, and hard, right? Because some of these things Jesus is bringing every week are like, all right, man, wow, okay, here we go. And maybe for some of you, it's like, man, if I could just do what Jesus is telling me to do and you know, for me, sometimes it feels like when I read fitness magazines or I, like I look at videos online, I'm like, man, that's a great idea. Like that looks really challenging. But then after a while, I'm just like, you know, I just defer back to what I do best. Like I'm back at Bill Gray's on Tuesdays for Trash Play Tuesday. You know, it's like <laughs> I had really good intentions, but just, ah, it feels hard, insurmountable. I mean, you look at what Jesus is saying here. Like last week, if you even look lustfully, it's equal to adultery. You get anger in your heart. That's like, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Anger in your heart is equal to murder. Uh, you're supposed to be salt. You're supposed to be light. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. It's just like, after a while, it's like, man, this feels insurmountable. And like, it's, we just like, next thing you know, defer back to Netflix and social media and YouTube or whatever. And as we dive into today's talk, I just want to remind us and encourage us that the whole purpose for this sermon that Jesus is giving, it's, it's not just like he's bored or like, oh, it's another Sunday and I got to preach, preach a message. And he's not just giving us a list of things that we need to know or fill our heads with. What he is actually doing is he's like ushering in the kingdom of God. And that's the amazing reality of what Jesus is doing here. The kingdom of God, yes, it'll, we'll know it in its completion and fullness in the future, but the future has also kind of made its way into the present through Jesus. And he inaugurated his kingdom at his birth, at his death and resurrection. And it will one day be fully consummated at his second coming. But yet we get to experience glimpses and parts of it now. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's kind of revealing the culture of his kingdom and how we as his followers are to live for him, even in the midst of this brokenness around us, this broken world, how we can see and experience and spread his kingdom to the world around us. And so with that in mind, keep that framework, that lens as we dive into the next portion of scripture today. And we're gonna be covering a lot. Matthew chapter 5, 33 to 48, really the next three sections of the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, I encourage you, go ahead and turn there. I'd love, love for you to have a copy of God's word in front of you as we work through this, however you like to access God's word. If you're using one of our Bibles at one of our campuses, you'll find that on page um, 786. And as you're turning there or getting situated, I, I wanted to start with a question. And the question is this, is um, did you realize we're actually just past the halfway point in the year 2022? July 2nd, July 2nd was the halfway point, over halfway done with this year. So in light of that, how are your New Year's resolutions going? <laughs> How's it going? How, how the Bible reading plan or exercising or waking up earlier or getting home earlier, spending more time with the family, whatever it might be. How's it going? Right? We laugh at that, but every year, right, it's like a new year and we make these commitments or vows of like, this year is going to be different. This year is going to be better and I'm going to chase after whatever it is that I want to pursue in my life. And inevitably it leads to 
another year of broken commitments. And look, I don't, I don't say that just to be pessimistic, right? For those of you that are still going, like, way to go. That's awesome. Keep it up. That's, uh, that, that's great. Um, but the reality is, like, broken vows or broken commitments and promises, they impact us. They're significant. In fact, I remember when I was probably six years old, at the time, our family lived on a, on a dead-end street. We are the last house on this street. And I remember one day after school, one of my... One of the neighbor kids down the road came down to the end of our street and we hung out and we started playing together. And it was really cool because he was like probably two or three years older than I was. And so as a little kid, like this was, this was great. As a six year old, like I get to play with the cool kid, the older kid. And so we played, we had a great time together. And I don't remember if I had to go inside or he had to go back home, but we had to, we had to leave. And I'll never forget this. He said this statement of like, I'll see you tomorrow. And in my mind, as a six-year-old mind, I was like, okay, I will see you tomorrow right here, and we will get to do all this. I'll get to play with a cool kid. It'll be, it'll be great. So we go in, we go, you know, the day ends. Next day, I go to school. We come home, and I'm like out at the end of my driveway, like, you know, like waiting for my buddy. He never came. I never played with him again, actually. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, in, in my mind, like, I honestly will have flashbacks to that, like, when I'm talking to people today, and like, hey, see you tomorrow, and I'm like, wait, are you, am I, really? You know, I don't think my friend had any intention, you know, of breaking this vow, or that he was even making a promise to me, but like, in my mind, like, I, I thought I was going to see him tomorrow, and, and I didn't, but that's the reality, though, like, our, our words, promises, commitments we make to one another... They impact us, they're significant. In fact, Jesus is gonna start here and what we're gonna look at, he's gonna talk about vows and commitments we make. Look at what he says, verse 33, he says, again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, don't break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, don't swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, you can't even make one hair white or black, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So right here, Jesus kind of just sets it straight and helps us understand some things about vows, that vows are costly. Don't make vows. You know how many promises are made in the emergency room? Right, but, but how many of them are actually carried out? Like, God, if you get me out of the situation, I promise I'll do this or not do that again. And, Inevitably, we don't hold to that, and next thing you know, we find ourselves right back in a similar situation, and we're towing the same line again at God. And the reality is this, the wisest thing we can actually do is, is not make a vow. And Jesus, remember, he's teaching us, and he's not just coming at us with another checklist of things. Remember, he's ushering in a new way of living and thinking, and he says this about vows. Don't swear an oath at all. By heaven, by earth, by Jerusalem, all you need to do is simply say yes or no. He's just saying, look, we should live a life of integrity. That when we say yes to something, we mean it. Or when we say no to something, we mean it. In fact, have you ever thought about why, why do people make a promise or a vow? Or like, I, I, you know, I swear to do something. You know, why do people do that? Why do people say, you know, I swear to God? Which in the Miller household, those are naughty words. Like, we, we teach our kids not to say that. Or like, I pinky promise. Or I swear on the Bible. Or I swear on my mother's grave or my father's grave. Like, why, why do people do that? In fact, the very, 
that very statement actually proves you to be untrustworthy because you're essentially saying, look, I know you can't trust me. So let me call on someone more reliable, God, my mother's grave, my father's grave, so, so that, that you'll believe me. And Jesus is saying, look, you gotta know this about vows are important, they're sacred. There's like two vows you should make in life, one to God, and if you choose to get married, one to your spouse, like they're, they're significant. So be careful, live a life of integrity where you can be, man, honest and genuine, where you say yes and it means it. When you say no, it means it. Vows are costly. We need to be careful with them. And now Jesus is gonna continue on and now he's diving a little bit deeper and he's gonna talk about what he wants, Christians, his followers, everywhere. He's about to tell us what we are to do when we experience injustice in our lives. When we experience harm, challenges, hurt, abuse, pain, here is how we are to respond. And look, the reality of us, to one degree or another, we can, we can relate to this because we've all experienced people relationally harming us. It, it could be like a coworker who was just putting you down in front of the boss, always trying to make themselves look good and put you down so that you look bad. It could be a friend of yours that you, you just realize, man, behind your back or when you're not with them, they're saying things about you that, that just aren't true. Or maybe it's your neighbor who lives above you or below you in your apartment complex and they're just always bumping their, their music and you're like, bro, it's Wednesday night. Like, why do you gotta be playing your music this loud, <laughs> right? To one degree or another, we, we experience this and what Jesus is going to do is he's gonna say, listen, this is how I want my followers to react when people hurt us or harm us. And let me just challenge all of us. If, if we truly lean in to what Jesus is about to tell us, this will revolutionize the way you think and approach relationships. This will drastically change your relationships. This, this has the power to impact our church if we embrace this and live this out. This has the ability to impact our community, our city, in our world. Look at what Jesus is about to say in regards to relationships, particularly those that hurt us. Verse 38, he says, you've heard that it was a said, I, uh, that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. So let's talk about here for a minute. So Jesus, he keeps the same rhythm. So he takes an Old Testament idea or law. Here he's taking one from the Old Testament from Exodus about eye for an eye. So that's a metaphor for the justice system. And it was common in Jesus' day that the punishment needed to fit the crime. So if you hurt or scratched my eye, well, man, I'm going to hurt and scratch your eye. If you hurt my camel, I get to hurt your camel. Um, that's the idea here, that re the repayment should fit the punishment of the crime, that getting even was part of this allowance within this law. And I think when you think about it, it's like, that's a pretty good law. <laughs> I, I think we, we would say, like, that, yeah, that makes sense. In fact, we probably, many of us, operate that way relationally right now. Like if you hurt me, like I'm gonna tuck that away somewhere. I'm gonna hang on to that. And at the right time, I'm gonna bring that to bear and I'm gonna use that to hurt you, right? Hurt people, hurt people, right? That, that's a thing. And that's kind of my reaction, probably our reaction. And Jesus says, look, I wanna give you an entire new way of relating to the people. And look, it's not to hit them back. He uses this metaphor of turning the other cheek when struck. He's saying, look, don't hit them back. Don't hit replay on the situation. And I said, here's what I want you to do. Turn the other cheek. And what he's really getting at for us as his followers is, look, our first step should not be one 
of retaliation, it should be reconciliation. When someone hurts you or me, we're to seek, not to seek retaliation, but reconciliation. That word reconciliation, it's a big word. All it simply means is to make right. It's, it's to, to make that relationship right. That's supposed to be our, our response. And he, he describes it as like someone turning the cheek. So this is a metaphor. Let's talk about this because I feel like this metaphor has gotten so misinterpreted and misimplied by Christians and by the church to, to believe like, man, am I just supposed to be like a physical punching bag? Like someone hits me here, I just turn the other side. Okay, you, you hit me here and we just keep doing this over. That's not what Jesus means by this. What Jesus means is starting new. It's starting fresh with that person. Yes, you, you may have hit me and hurt me on this side, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn the cheek. So I'm gonna allow an open pathway for this relationship to be made right again. I'm gonna, I'm gonna open, yes, you've hurt me, but my first step is not gonna be to hurt you back. It's gonna be like, I'm gonna allow opportunity for this relationship to heal, to be reconciled, to be, to be forgiven. Right, and this seems extreme. Like, <laughs> like, really? Like, you know some of the hurt and crazy people and, man, just terrible people in my life. And you're telling me in every situation, no matter what they've done, I'm supposed to forgive them or to reconcile or to take steps to keep this relationship open or to mend this relationship? And Jesus is saying, yes, it's exactly what I'm telling you to do. That's our response. Every situation, big and small. It's not to take a step back, plot revenge, or how can I get back? No, we're to pursue making that relationship right again. Look, this is countercultural. This is 100% countercultural. This is why, again, Jesus is flipping things upside down, right? Because in our, our culture, we're thinking like, man, I'm going to be weak. My friends, my coworkers, they're going to think I'm weak if I react or respond this way, right? I'm just letting them walk all over me. But here's what's crazy. Jesus, and we see this later the Bible talks about this crazy thing that retaliation is actually not a sign of strength. It is a sign of weakness. Paul reaffirms this in Romans 12, verse 17. He says this, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Retaliation is a sign of weakness because it ultimately says, I do not trust in the one that says, vengeance is mine. So I'm gonna take matters into my own hand. I'm gonna solve this situation. Jesus says that's a sign of weakness. He's saying there's a better way. I want you to turn the other cheek. I want you to keep a pathway open so that relationship perhaps might be able to be restored one day. I'll bring justice. Trust me with that. I want you to focus on that relationship. And look, he doesn't look at you and me and the hurts and the pain that we have experienced in our, in our lives. And he doesn't say this because he doesn't care because what they did to you, that was wrong. All of it, everything about that was wrong. The hurt, the abuse, the pain, all of it was wrong. And it's not because he wants them to get away with it or he doesn't, doesn't care how you're feeling. That is not why Jesus says this. It's because he does care about you that he says this. And there's a day when he's gonna have a reckoning for all that pain, that hurt, that abuse that's ever been done. And right now, he wants us to trust him. Trust him with that. And let's pursue whatever we might be able to do to pursue reconciliation. He does not, Jesus does not look lightly on the pains of his, of his children. And let me speak to a moment to, 
to cases where it's a, a situation where there's physical harm or abuse that is taking place? Because I would imagine for some of you right now, you're like, wait, hold on here. Are you, is Jesus saying or are we saying that God wants me to go back into an abusive environment? We want to be clear on this. We would say no. If someone is in a, a violent environment, we believe based on the character of God and who he is, we would say that the wisest thing would be to step out of that environment for a period of time because that is not loving. And Jesus and his whole point is about reconciling the relationship and it's to be done in love. In fact, he's gonna expound on this in the next couple of verses here we're gonna look at in, in a moment. And it's not loving to stay there and be abused. So the most loving thing to do might be to step out of that for a period of time. The most loving thing to do might be to call the police. Turning the other cheek in that situation might be a temporary restraining order. It's not loving. And Jesus wants us focused on the relationship. So turning the other cheek may need to look like removing yourself because that's the point. It's like, how, how, do, I, how do I try to save this relationship? Like that should be our mindset. How do, we, how do we reconcile this? So when someone hurts you or me, don't seek retaliation, seek reconciliation. reconciliation. Jesus continues, verse 40. And if anyone wants to sue you, take your shirt uh, and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So what is Jesus saying here? Well, he's saying, look, that again, as his followers, we should go above and beyond in our generosity towards others. Don't just do the bare minimum. If you've wronged somebody, don't go to that person and just be like, man, like what, what's like the bare minimum I can do here to make things right? you know, again with you. No, make it right. Be generous. Be about the relationship. When Jesus says, if anyone asks you to go one mile, walk with them two miles, you might be thinking like, why is he, Jesus so concerned with how many miles I walk? He's not. He's concerned about the relationship. So go above and beyond in our generosity towards others. Now he's gonna press in even further. He's gonna raise the bar even higher. Verse 43, you've heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And just to pause for a second, I gotta believe like someone in the crowd at this moment was like, amen. Like finally, Jesus, you've said something we agree with. Love, love our neighbor, hate our enemy. Yes, we're with you. Well, verse 44, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is crazy. No longer, Jesus says, for his followers is the standard, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. He's saying, look, I don't want there to be any boundaries on your love. There should be no boundaries on who we love. All people you are now to love is what Jesus is saying. And look, you gotta understand, these statements would have landed so hard and heavy on the ears of those who were listening to Jesus because they all clearly knew who, who their enemy was. Their enemy was Rome. Rome persecuted them, beat them, whipped them, murdered many of them, and not only that, would oppress them with incredible taxes. There were soldiers on the streets, on the corners, that would just, man, look for opportunities. And I would imagine that there were people probably listening in the crowd that day that had a family member or a friend that probably had been killed by one of these Roman soldiers. They knew who their enemy was. All right, enemies kind of abstract to us, but not to them. They knew who their enemy was, and Jesus is saying, look, you're now to love and pray for the Romans, and they're like, the Ro like, you know who the Romans are? And Jesus says, yes, even them. I want you to pray for them. I want there to be no boundaries to be put on love. 
All right, I think as Americans, this can be a little bit harder for us to pinpoint or maybe to apply because we're like, man, like who, who's my enemy? Like, is it ISIS? Is it, you know, Spectrum TV? You know, is it, is it, is it AT&T? Is it, you know, Red Sox fans? Like, who, who's my, who is my enemy? But I think when we kind of slow down here for a minute and we, we think about it, man, there's, there's plenty of enemies that we face in life. So many. We have enemies. And Jesus is saying, look, we are to love those who view world, the world and politics differently. We're, we're to view those who view how to handle COVID, max, masks and vaccines differently. Insert whatever hot button issue, guns, you know, abortion. We're to love those people uh, and pray for those people. We're, we're called to love all people. Love the people who call you a bigot for what you believe. Love the people who mistreat you because of the color of your skin. Love the people that treat you poorly in your dorm, in your classroom, on your sports team, at work. We're called to love every single person. And I love this next verse, verse 45. He says, that you may be, may be children of your Father in heaven. What Jesus is saying here is, look, when you live like that, when you look like that, you, you look a whole lot like your father. When you live like that, you look like your dad. You know, as a, a parent, one of the coolest things is getting to see your kids grow up. And you know when they're little, they kind of look like aliens, but like you can still like see some of the traits physically that they have in, in their parents and like those, you know, they get cuter as they get older. You guys know what I mean. And, uh, but sometimes they don't, but I, I mean, that's just reality. But wow, I, way off script here. But sometimes it's not even physical traits, right? It's even just the social, personal, the way they relate, the way they talk, like they start to reflect their, their parents. And what Jesus just said here in this verse, he's like, that's what I want you to do. I want you to be the kind of person that even in the face of hatred, our response to those that hate us is prayer and love. This would be prayer and love. I want you to do that. And when you do that, you look a whole lot like your father in heaven. He's a God who loves his enemies. He's a God who loves those who run from him. He's a God who loves those that have betrayed him, have insulted him, have turned on him. He's the God, he loves bad people, bad people like me and you. And if you're here today and you think you're too bad, it's not true. He still loves you. He's a God that even while we were his enemies, he sent his son, his own son, to die for you and me, his enemies. Crazy love that God put on display for this world to see. And he says, when you love like that, you look a whole lot like your dad. When was the last time you prayed for your enemy? When was the last time? And not like prayed bad things, like prayed good things for them, right? <laughs> I'm telling you, this one simple step has the power to change that relationship. When, you, when you're praying for restoration in someone you dislike, when you're praying for God to change their perspective towards you, when you're praying for God to change your perspective towards them, your relationship and view of that person will change. He says, when we love and pray like this, we look like our dad, and then he continues, verse 46. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Aren't even tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? Then he summarizes the whole chapter with this one verse, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. So Jesus summarizes all of chapter five, all of this teaching on relationships with this verse, be perfect like your heavenly father. Right? 
for many of us are probably like, like, really? Jesus, like, be perfect? Like, that's the, that's the summary statement. And perhaps some of you are already feeling like, here we go again, Nate. Like, okay, I was just getting ready to, like, start praying for my enemies. But now this is all starting to feel insurmountable again. Like, he's telling me to be perfect? Like, that just feels insurmountable, unattainable. How are we to be perfect? So let me try to flesh this out. I, I, to, to illustrate this, I guess, think of a little kid, whether your aunt or an uncle, a parent or grandparent. Think of a kid, right? I think of my own kids. When they were little, they used to love um, to watch like animal shows. And uh, they, uh, I can think back to them watching a show, like it would be about lions and tigers, right? So they would, they would watch that show, be 30 minutes long, and the show would end. And what are my kids doing on the family room floor not three or four minutes later? Right? They're pretending to be a lion or a tiger. I think of my son Landon. He and I love to watch the Yankees highlights of the, of the game before. It's a really good year to be a Yankee fan. And so like, we love to watch how well did they do. And we'll watch those highlights together. And not long after that, what is my son wanting to do? He's like, hey, let's go play catch, dad. Hey, dad, can we go work on my swing in the backyard? Right? Why is that? Well, it's because you become what you behold. Whatever has your focus Whatever you are staring at, you become. Your, your life is gonna start moving that direction. Your life is gonna start moving that way because you become what you behold. I remember probably seven or eight years ago, we were on a Miller family vacation in Cape May, New Jersey. And my brother-in-law, my dad and I had this great idea of like, we should go deep sea fishing together. And we all agreed, like, this will be great. This is awesome. So we went out and we did that. And I'm not talking like offshore fishing. We were like way out, could not even see the shore anymore. And I like pride myself in like being an outdoorsman. I'm a big hunter. I'm a big fisherman. And I know about seasickness and all of that, you know, and was aware of that. And so we get out there and we're fishing and I'm like laser focused. I'm locked in. I got my rod, I got the drag set, I got the tension on the reel and the line correct, I got my weight at the right distance above the bait, I got my nasty clam squid bait on the hook, whatever it was, it was gross, but I, you know, I dropped it down and I had it at the perfect depth, right? You don't want it too high, you don't want it sitting on the bottom, you want it like suspended right, right above the, the floor of the ocean. We were catching fish and it was going great. You know, I'm sitting there and it's not long, like I'm focused on my line and everything. And all of a sudden I'm like, man, it's really hot out here. Like the sun is like beating down on me. And I'm like, man, this boat is like really moving around all, all of a sudden. And it's not long after that when um, a guy who was part of the charter, he's off the bow of the boat chumming the waters. And if, chumming the water, that's not like throwing bait. Like he is losing his cookies. He's throwing up, okay? He's throwing up off the bow of the boat. And I'm like checking that out while I'm like, oh, I'm not feeling great. And all of a sudden I'm starting to feel myself get sick. And so I immediately like, I gotta stop. So like I put my rod down, I find some shade on the boat and I just sit down. And um, I don't know where I remembered or who told me this, but I remember that man, when, when you get seasick, what, what you need to do is like, just get your eyes off the water and what's moving and just look off in the distance and try to find a mountain or a hill or something that isn't moving. And we were so far off of shore that there was no, nothing I could see. So I just like looked at the horizon and found a cloud that was like as far out as it could be. And I just fixed my eyes on that cloud. And you know what, it helped. I started to feel better. I didn't throw up and I retained some level of my manhood, you know? And. Uh, <laughs> My dad was like, where did you go for like the last hour? I was like, it doesn't matter, it's fine, I'm okay, I'm fine, let's go fish. But, uh, but here's what you gotta understand, man, this world is seasick. 
And look, if you got your eyes down here looking at the waves of life, you're gonna be sick. And if you're thinking that the world around you is gonna solve your problems, whether it be politics or just culture, and you got your eyes fixed here, man, you're gonna miss it. And what Jesus is trying to help us understand is like, guys, just lift your gaze. Get it up six inches. Look at me. Get your eyes on your heavenly father. Because when we get our eyes on our heavenly father, we're gonna become like him. This is not about perfection. We're not gonna be perfect this side of heaven. It's about progress. It's about growth. It's about sanctification, which is just slowly, it's a journey of ups and downs where we're pursuing and becoming like our heavenly father. So that's what he's saying. Get your eyes fixed on me. Because when we have our eyes fixed on our heavenly father, we will be a people that are trusted. We're not gonna make crazy promises, crazy vows that we can't keep. We're gonna be honest, trustworthy. Our yes will be yes, our no will be no. When we have our eyes fixed on our heavenly father, we're gonna be a people that live out radical generosity. We'll be a people that our love has no boundaries. We will even be able to love and pray for those that hate us, like the deepest level of human separation or heart. Like we'll even be able to love and pray for those for our enemies. Jesus is saying, get your eyes fixed on your heavenly father. And when we get our eyes fixed on our heavenly father, our world and our perspective begins to change. Which again, this is what Jesus is after. He's after our heart. He's after our intentions. And if we get our eyes fixed on him, the way that we relate to the world around us, we'll be starting to see the culture of his kingdom, not our kingdom. And when we do that, it's gonna transform and reshape our paradigm for the way in which we view our relationships. So what are you focused on? What has your attention? What has your gaze? Let's fix our eyes on our Heavenly Father. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for being a loving Heavenly Father. You're our dad. We're thankful, God, that you're not distant, but you're close, you are near, you are present. We thank you for your, your love on display for your enemies through your son Jesus, your own son. God, and it models to us how what can feel impossible to us to love or to pray for people that have hurt us. God, you've shown us an example of that. God, I, I pray that you would help to, to break down the barriers and walls perhaps that we have in our lives that keep us from wanting to love people the way that you have loved us. God, may you give us your eyes. May you be our soul focus. May you have our full attention as we seek to live for you and love for you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.